This is the Mainly Plants Podcast. My name is Ryan Furman, and I am a certified plant-based nutritionist and personal trainer. The website is mainlyplants.com. Social media is at mainlyplants. You want to get a hold of me, contact me through there, the website, or you can email me, ryan at mainlyplants.com. And for all of your shopping needs, if you use Amazon, please click through my website. Um, you can even just go to mainlyplants.com slash Amazon to do your shopping, uh, or you can go to the bottom of the main page, and there's a little click through there. It costs you nothing, and it helps me out so I can continue to help you guys out with the podcast, because shit ain't free, you know? So... Uh, This week, we're talking about skin and skin health, but first, let's talk about skin in terms of what it is, right? So, your skin, most people don't realize this, is the largest organ in your body, technically on your body, and it plays a vital role in detecting hot and cold, and it helps regulate your skin or your body temperature, and it helps, obviously, protect your muscles, bones, and internal organs from outside infection and diseases. So it really is what gets bombarded all day, every day uh, by the elements, by pollution, um, and you know, by chemicals, everything. So, you know, there's a lot more to your skin that you might than you might think. So here's some facts about skin. The average person's skin covers about two square meters. That's a big area. And it accounts for about 15% of your body weight. The average adult has approximately 21 square feet of skin. It's a lot of skin. And it weighs about 9 pounds. And it contains more than 11 miles of blood vessels just in your skin. The average person has about 300 million skin cells. A single square inch of your skin has about 19 million cells and up to 300 sweat glands in just a square inch. Now, your skin is its thickest on its feet. That's probably common sense because you walk when people walk around barefoot. It's what we were supposed to do, uh, or how we were designed. So it makes sense that the skin on your foot would be thickest, and it's thinnin, thinnest, thinnin, thinnest on your eyelids. Now your skin renews itself every twenty-eight days. That's important to remember. Twenty-eight days it renews itself, which means that if you have something going on with your skin and you heal it appropriately, which we'll talk about, uh, you can expect to have healthy, vibrant, new skin, not just the healed skin, but but new skin in a month. Your skin is constantly shedding dead cells. It sheds about 30,000 to 40,000 cells every minute, which is about nine pounds per year. In fact, it's estimated that more than half of the dust in your home is dead skin, which is fascinating, but also kind of gross at the same time. It's important, which is why it's important to wash your sheets. Uh, you know, let your pillows refluff. Um, wash your pillows. You know, if your pillows feel kind of uh, lackluster and not as fluffy as you remember them being, stick them outside in the sun for about a half an hour, and they will uh, fluff back up. A little fun fact for you. Pro tip. Uh, Dead skin comprises about a billion tons of dust in the Earth's atmosphere. Which is gross to think about that, uh, you know, when you're outside and things get dusty, it could be other people's skin cells, dead skin cells. But it's just part of life, right? Um, 
your skin is home to more than more than a thousand spe- species of bacteria. I'm obviously having trouble talking today, uh, but your skin is home to more than a thousand species of bacteria, and we know that there's good bacteria and bad bacteria. And if we foster the good bacteria on our skin, we'll have healthy skin. So it's important to to take care of our skin, which again we'll talk about. But that's a lot of species of bacteria, a thousand. Now, skin that is severely damaged may try to heal itself by forming scar tissue. And scar, t- scar tissue is different from normal skin tissue because it lacks hair and it has no sweat glands, which is, you know, see, if you look at, I'm looking at my finger right now, I have some scar tissue. Um, it's smooth, there's no sweat glands, um, and there's obviously no hair on it. It's kind of interesting. Um, now, skin can form additional thickness and toughness, which is known as a callus. Um, and this is, this is what happens when it's exposed to repeated um, friction or pressure. So a lot of people who work out or work outside will have calluses you know, on the base of their fingers or, or on, uh, on the joints of their fingers where they grip stuff. I know I do, um, and on my feet as well. So runners get it a lot, you know, dancers get it a lot. So take a look around and recognize your calluses. Uh, calluses are good things. It's just our body adapting to uh, the elements that we're throwing at it. Some of the nerves in your skin are connected to muscles instead of the brain, sending signals through the spinal cord to react more quickly to heat and pain, etc. Now, your skin has at least five different types of receptors that respond to pain and touch. And the most important fact is that changes in your skin can signal changes in your overall health, which is what we're talking about today. What you eat can directly affect your skin for good or for bad. Certain foods can have negative effects on your skin. For example, MRSA, which is a superbug, which can cause hard-to-treat skin infections, appears to contaminate approximately 5% of U.S. retail meat. Retail meat being meat that you or I can go to the store to buy. Skin hives or allergic reactions can be a sign of alpha-gal, what are called alpha-gal meat allergies. Alpha-gal is a response to foreign molecules that are present in animal products and may play a role in some allergic, some autoimmune, and some anti-inflammatory disorders. Now, this is the same, these are the same type of reactions that is thought to underlie tick bite triggered meat allergies. Now you heard me right. Sometimes when people get bit by ticks, they develop meat allergies. So this is what we're talking about. These are called alpha-gal meat allergies. But again, skin hives or allergic reactions can be a a sign of those. Um, A lack of safety thresholds in US meat for drug residues, toxic metals, pesticides, you know, a whole uh, cornucopia of, uh, of toxins that's found in our meat in the United States can potentially result in jaundice and skin cancer. Now, there was a case in which vitamin A poisoning from a fish actually resulted in one man experiencing such serious peeling of his skin, it took more than three months to heal. Using tanning beds instead of natural sunlight or supplements to get vitamin D is linked to an increased risk of the deadliest kind of skin cancer. Okay, milk consumption has been associated with increased acne risk, 
and low antioxidant levels in the skin may correlate with the development of wrinkles. Now, this is important to, to, important to think about because you think about what kind of foods have those deficiencies and have those, those products in them. So let's, let's talk about um, milk consumption real quick. Well, milk, obviously, but dairy and yogurt. Um, you know, I, I, I see it all the time, especially in people that I know. And I'm not talking about anybody specifically right here, so don't get your panties in a wad. But people that I know, you know, you see them eat a lot of greasy foods, a lot of dairy and or dairy products, and they, you know, get zits, they get acne, they have horrible skin. And, you know, it's, it's, in my opinion, a direct correlation of what they're eating. Now, that's not to say that if you have bad skin, that it's, that it's because you're eating dairy products, but dairy products will lead to having bad skin. Now, on the other side, low antioxidant levels in the skin may correlate with the development of wrinkles. Well, what are the foods that primarily have antioxidants in them? Well, those are plant-based foods. So you think about, like I, I, if you've listened to all my podcasts and you've heard this before somewhere, but a good way to tell if a food has antioxidants in it is to leave it out. If it browns or turns color, then it doesn't have a lot of antioxidants in it. So you think of things like bananas or avocados, you leave those out in the open air, they brown because they don't have a good antioxidant level in them. But you leave foods out, or even apples, same thing. But you leave foods out like blueberries, like pomegranates, or pomegranate seeds. Um, foods like that, that you leave out, they don't turn. Those are foods that have higher sources of antioxidant levels. Um, so, just by these two sentences, milk consumption, increased risk of acne, and low antioxidant levels, increased development of wrinkles, it's safe to assume and it's safe to say that the higher whole food plant-based diet that you have, the less wrinkles that you have, you will have, and the less uh, acne that you'll have. And we can extrapolate it beyond that. The more whole food plant-based diet that you have, and the less animal products that you have, the better overall skin health that you will have. Just uh, makes sense, right? <clears throat> now, again on the flip side, a higher intake of green and yellow vegetables may be linked with a decreased facial and overall skin wrinkling. So we just talked about that. Um, but beyond antioxidants, green and yellow vegetables. So summer squash, dark leafy greens, you know, kale, collard greens, spinach. I could go on and on and on. Um, spaghetti squash. These are all, I mean, is assuming you're not colorblind, and I'm sorry if you are, I can be happy to create you a list. But green and yellow vegetables, as well as antioxidant-rich foods, will help decrease uh, wrinkles. So stop wasting hundreds of dollars on anti-aging skin creams, which are probably just full of a bunch of chemicals, and instead just switch up your diet. You know, week after week, we talk about the benefits of a whole food plant-based diet. I'm going to go on a little tangent here. But week after week, I talk about the benefits of a whole food plant-based diet. And week after week, I give you examples of why one is good for you and why animal products are bad for you. So if you've listened to the podcast for more than one week or two weeks or three weeks, um, and you have not switched to a whole food plant-based diet, I'd be curious to find out why. Um, because I'd be happy to you know, talk to you about it and put to ease any 
put to bed any concerns that you have. But it's confusing to me. And if you're listening to the podcast, you're educated. So I digress. <clears throat> uh, so green yellow vegetables. Now, eating carotenoid-rich foods as part of a whole foods plant-based diet can help contribute to healthy-looking skin in general and um, decrease your cellulite, which is a big concern, uh, especially aesthetically for women, and acne again. Now, when I say carotenoid-rich foods, what am I talking about? So those are foods that are yellow, orange, or red in color, okay? Now, things like tomatoes, uh, bell peppers, carrots. I mean, there's really a whole bunch of them out there. You just use your, again, use your color. Um, but, but what are carotenoids specifically? They are a group of eight vitamins that include beta-carotene, lycopene, and lutein, and um, are leading forces in the fight against free radical damage. So there you have it. So reducing uh, methionine, which is an amino acid found in foods like chicken, fish, milk, red meat, and eggs, uh, reducing that, the intake of methionine by eating a primarily plant-based diet has been shown that it might be effective in treating some skin cancers. Now, more specifically, consuming flax seeds may help improve sensitive skin and other skin disorders as well. So, let's break that down a little bit. We have more foods that are treating skin problems as well. So, cellulite, right? People are spending thousands of dollars going getting laser treatment, uh, going to get rolled out uh, because of their cellulite. But you eat things that are carotenoid rich and you can decrease your cellulite. You eat things that are, that are uh, lacking in methionine and you can treat skin cancer. Now, these are all foods that are whole food plant-based. You know, you're not going to find carotenoid-rich foods in animal products. The leading, uh, the leading foods that contain methionine are chicken, fish, milk, red meat, and eggs, animal products. So you can only infer that by eating a whole food plant-based diet, you're going to treat your skin well. Now there's a ton of other foods that may be used as alternatives or supplements to medications um, which have adverse health effects on skin as well. For example, Indian gooseberries, which are also known as amla, may help treat, help treat diabetes without the potential side effect of the drug. Um, now the drug is uh, that I'm talking about is called got gliburide, which in some cases can result in your skin peeling. So, you know, there's a famous quote, let medicine be thy food and let food be thy medicine. Everything's out there for you to save yourself, to treat yourself, to protect yourself. And it's all natural, whole food, plant-based diet. Okay. Uh, I'm sure that a lot of you have had poison oak, poison ivy, or other skin rashes, and you get oatmeal lotion, or you get, an oat, you get into an oatmeal bath to, to relieve the skin itch and the irritation. Um, but it's also been shown to help with the same types of symptoms when it comes to chemotherapy. So we all love oatmeal, 
Use it on your skin, another whole food plant that is great for your skin. Uh, green tea ointment applied to the skin has been shown to help treat genital warts and Gorlin syndrome. Now, Gorlin syndrome is a rare genetic condition where a person is covered in skin cancer, skin cancer spots. And that's tea tree ointment, green tea ointment. So, again, there are plants out there that can help your skin, whether it be directly as applied to the skin in order to, to treat something or consuming in order to prevent your skin or to treat your skin that's already have a, has a problem. Now, a little side note uh, for caution. If you are using aromatherapy, avoid applying those essential oils topically to the skin because they can cause irritation. So for example, um, uh, tea tree oil. I love tea tree oil. I've recommended it to a bunch of people, but it is um, kind of menthol-y and it can cause skin irritation. I put it, like if I have a, a zit coming in, which I get, I get zits like maybe once, twice a year, if that, but when I do, they're a fucking doozy. Like I look like Rudolph, you know, if it's on my nose or, or growing a third eye out of my forehead. But I'll take uh, my tea tree oil and I'll put it on a, a Q-tip and I will dab it on the pimple and it helps dry it out and it helps just heal the skin. Um, it can also help with uh, sunspots, milia, stuff like that. But if you haven't used it before, I recommend diluting, you know, three or four drops in like a, a teaspoon of water just to help dilute and get your skin acclimated. And then once you're used to it, you can slowly start to lessen the dilution and put it directly on your skin. I can put it directly on my skin without without uh, it burning my skin or, or anything like that, just a little tingle. And it really does help treat your skin. Uh, I'll give you another example. I had a skin tag um, underneath my left eye and I had, I've had that thing since I can remember. So I'm 33 now. I've had it for, as far as I'm concerned, 33 years. Um, and it just basically looked like a little, a tiny little, almost like a colorless mole underneath my, my eye on the lower eyelid. Now, for some reason, last year, it started growing. I don't know why. I don't know what set it off, but it started growing. And it grew like probably half an inch long in like a day, overnight basically. So what I did was I took some um, tea tree oil, again, on a tea tree oil on a Q-tip, and I dabbed it on there at the base of it. And I did that probably four or five times a day for like two days. And the thing just fell off, and I don't have it anymore. But it was the damnedest thing. I don't know what the hell happened. But all I know is that the, the tea tree oil helped this thing just leave my body. Um, so there are ways to, to help your skin heal and to keep your skin looking good and wrinkle free by consuming and using uh, whole plants, right? So, um, you know, a lot of people are on skin medication and don't know why they get zits. They're using Proactive, they're using Retin-A, um, but these are all chemicals and your skin doesn't need chemicals to heal itself, okay? So um, try looking at what you're consuming and see if you can't treat your skin that way. Now, if there's any questions, comments, concerns as far as the skin stuff, uh, please let me know. 
And we're going to move on to this week's plant of the week, which is collard greens. I just had some collard greens for lunch. I love them. Let's talk about it. So why are they good for you? Well, the first reason, bone, bone health. A low intake of vitamin K has been associated with a higher risk of bone fractures. Now, vitamin K consumption acts as a modifier of bone matrix proteins. It improves calcium absorption, and it may reduce urinary excretion of calcium. Now, one cup of boiled collard greens, and you, don't, you know me, I don't recommend boiling food because a lot of the nutrients leave, but this is an example to show how powerful collard greens are. One cup of boiled collard greens provides 770 micrograms of vitamin K, which is well over 100% of the daily recommended intake. That's just one cup of boiled collard greens. So you can eat them raw and you get more, which is what I do. Um, they're also good for cancer. Since the 1980s, maintaining a high intake of cruciferous vegetables has constantly been associated with a lower risk of developing various types of cancer, including upper digestive tract cancer, colorectum cancer, breast and kidney cancer. Uh, but cruciferous vegetables have sulfur-containing compounds known as glucosinolates. <laughs> I always butcher this. Glucosinolates. I've talked about these before. I talked about um, cruciferous vegetables uh, mitigating the symptoms of autism. But studies have suggested that they can impede the cancer process at different stages of development for lung, colorectal, breast, and prostate cancers, and possibly melanoma, esophageal, and pancreatic cancer. Now, there is evidence that collard greens and other vegetables, um, other green vegetables that contain high amounts of chlorophyll, can help block the carcinogenic effects of heterocyclic amines. Now, these substances are generated when grilling foods at high temperatures. So, um, you know, when you, when, you, when you have steak, when you grill steak at high temperatures, or when you have burgers or hot dogs and they get that char on them. Listen, when I was a meat eater, I loved that char. I loved my stuff well done. Um, but that char, those high, high temperature grilled foods can lead to certain types of cancers. Okay, so moving on, diabetes and liver function. Now, the dietary guidelines for Americans recommend 22 and a half to 28 grams of fiber a day for women, depending upon the age, and 28 to 33.6 grams a day for men. Now, studies have shown that people with type 1 diabetes who consume, who consume high fiber diets have lower blood glucose levels. And people with type 2 diabetes, remember the type 2 is the, the kind that you can control, the adult onset, um, which is completely reversible and curable, um, it has everything to do with what you're eating, may achieve better levels of blood sugar, lipids, and insulin, okay, with people who eat high fiber diets. Now again, one cup of boiled collard greens provides about eight grams of fiber. So right there, you are about a quarter of the way there for the day, just in one cup of boiled collard greens. Now collard greens also contain an antioxidant known as alpha lipioc. Lipioc? Lipioc? Lipoic? Got me, but I'm going to call it AL. Now, studies suggest that AL acid can lower glucose levels, increase insulin sensitivity, and prevent changes in patients with diabetes that are linked to oxidative stress. Now, it can also help to regenerate liver tissue as well. Uh, it may also decrease the risk of peripheral neuropathy, 
automatic neuropathy. Did I say automatic? Autonomatic neuropathy, or both in people with diabetes. Now, however, since most studies have used uh, intravenous AL acid, it's unclear whether oral supplementation provides the same benefits. Now, excessively high doses of AL acid have been shown to have adverse effects similar to those caused by too little. So you want to get right in the sweet spot there. Um, however, just eat them, right? Don't go overboard. Don't eat nothing but, but collard greens, um, but incorporate them into your diet. Can't hurt. Consumption of collard greens has been shown to improve liver function uh, in people with high blood pressure as well. They're also great for your digestion. Um, they're, like I said, they're high in both fiber and water content, and these help prevent constipation, and they help promote regularity, which is what hap- is happening right now with my dog underneath my desk who is letting them fly in his sleep and totally gassing me out. But all the treats that he gets are uh, high-fiber foods, and this is what I'm asking for, I guess. I guess I did it to myself. Um, but again, high-fiber and water content maintain a healthy digestive tract. This is why I always tell people, um, if you're a client, you know this, and if you're not, you're getting a free piece of advice, always have a big salad um, every day, and preferably have some of that salad uh, towards the later part of the day, because you're going to help push all the stuff through your system overnight, because it's high fiber, high water, and you're going to be totally cleared out in the morning. It's also good for your skin and hair, which is why I'm talking about collard greens today. Now, collard greens can prevent, can, be, can benefit the skin because of a high vitamin A content. Now, vitamin A is needed for sebum production, and sebum is what keeps hair moisturized. It's that oil, okay? Vitamin A is also necessary for the growth of all bodily tissues, including skin and hair. So you want healthy skin, you want luxurious hair, uh, you need to eat a lot of vit- foods rich in vitamin A. Adequate intake of vitamin C is needed for the building and maintenance of collagen, which provides structure to skin and hair. And guess what has a lot of vitamin A and vitamin C? Collard greens. Again, one cup of boiled collard greens, which is the worst way to cook your food, but I'm putting it in there as a good example to show how easy it is to get, what is hiccuped, how easy it is to get your intakes. One cup of boiled collard greens provides over 50% of a person's daily needs of vitamin A and vitamin C. Now, iron deficiency is a common cause of hair loss. This can be prevented by an adequate intake of iron-containing foods like collard greens. Um, Dark, leafy greens generally have a lot of iron in them. A lack of iron in the diet can affect how uh, efficiently the body uses energy. So things like collard greens, spinach, lentils, all kale, all good sources of, of iron. It's also good for your sleep and mood. Now, collard greens contain choline, which helps with sleep, muscle movement, learning, and memory. We've talked about this before uh, with the cruciferous vegetables. Choline also helps to maintain the structure of cellular membranes uh, in the transmission of nerve impulses, the absorption of fat, and the reduction of chronic inflammation. Now, folate, also found in choline, has been shown to help with depression. I talked about this on the depression podcast, uh, as it can prevent an excess of homocysteine from forming in the body. Now, too much homo- homocysteine can stop blood and other nutrients from reaching the brain. It can also interfere with the production of the quote-unquote feel-good hormone serotonin, dopamine, 
and neopinephrine. Okay, norepinephrine. I say neopinephrine, norepinephrine. So uh, it's all it's good for producing those feel-good hormones, and it also helps those hormones reach the brain and help that blood reach the brain. Now these neurotransmitters regulate mood, sleep, and appetite. So, like I talked about on the depression podcast, if you have problems with this, it can, it can, not saying it will, but it can be affected by what you're consuming. So another reason to switch to a whole food plant-based diet right there. Now, you might be asking yourself, how do I incorporate more collard greens into my diet? Uh, well, first thing, collard greens should have uh, firm, deep green leaves. You don't want that wilted shit. Um, you don't want the soft stuff. Now, smaller leaves that come in the bunch will be more tender. So just check the outside, check the big ones, um, because the smaller ones will be tender and have more of a mild flavor, but they're still good to eat. Now, it's super easy to keep them fresh in the refrigerator because the, fir- the leaves are so firm, they stay fresh for a while. Um, but there's a ton of, of good home-cooked dishes with collard greens in it. Uh, you can steam them. You, know, you can steam them. All you really need to steam them for is like 10 minutes, and you'll still uh, preserve their nutrients. Add them with peppers, chopped onions, some spices, and season them, and just eat them steamed. Or you can eat them raw. Eat them, you know, use them as your leaves in, in, uh, in salads or in sandwiches or use them as, as the wrap for wraps. So what I did today for lunch was I had a, you know, vegan egg salad. And uh, basically it is mashed uh, non-GMO organic tofu and a little bit of, of just mayo, a little bit of yellow mustard, and then your favorite diced minced veggies in there. And I put them on the leaf, and I wrap the leaf up like a little mini burrito or wrap. And that way, I'm getting my raw collard greens. I'm getting a ton of nutrients by not cooking them. And I'm not having to consume a bunch of carbs in your traditional wrap. So it's, it's really easy to use them. Um, another thing you can make are collard green chips. Super easy to make. All you have to do is remove the ribs from the collard greens. Uh, And the rib is basically the spine that goes, I don't know why they call it a rib, but the spine that goes up and down the leaf, um, the tough part, you know. And then cut them into your whatever chip size you want. Toss them in some uh, extra virgin olive oil and bake them at 275 for 15 to 30 minutes based, you know, depending upon your oven um, until they're crisp. And just take them out and sprinkle them with a little bit of salt or turmeric or, or garlic powder or chili powder or whatever you like and use those as chips instead of regular tortilla chips. Um, now, I wouldn't use them to like dip into salsa because they're not going to be as rigid. But, you know, if you're watching a movie, use that instead of, you know, buttered popcorn or use that instead of, you know, chips and salsa. It's just a lot healthier for you getting the, the savory taste with the seasonings that you put on there and you're getting a ton of good nutrients. You can even add them to a smoothie. They're really mild in taste. They're super good for you. If you haven't learned that already, then I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. But that's all I got for this week. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, please email me, ryan at mainlyplants.com. Take care of yourself. Take care of your skin. Take a look at your skin in the mirror. Uh, see if you like the way that it is, that it's looking. If it's not, re-listen to this podcast uh, and find out what you can do. And until next week, as always... Go eat a salad.